Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, your podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I am joined, as always, by the man who has been listening to the greatest hits of the Lighthouse family this week to try and come down from his natural popper high. <laughs> it's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Yeah, very well. Very well. I don't have any natural poppers today. My the, the cold I had in the last episode didn't last very long. Maybe because I was, maybe the natural poppers expediated my recovery, perhaps, I'm not sure. But um, back to my uh, usual full bill of health this week. Fantastic. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear you're all recovered and everything's well. What do you think? And we'll come to the news later, obviously. But I was reading this morning that Henry Cavill has been cast as the, in the Highlander remake. Yeah, I, I saw that as well, but it was... Someone had... The the article I saw, it was just basically his Instagram. Or maybe it was... Because I, I follow him on Instagram. Maybe that. Maybe it was just his Instagram post um, with him making the announcement. I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, we'll see. I mean, he's... As an actor, I quite like him. I feel like there's probably like real Scottish actors that they could have cast in the role, like your your man, you know, your your man of um, Outlander, um, Sam. I forget his second name. Oh, yeah. With an H. Um, I'd have yeah. thought he would be the sort of go-to, but maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't attract the all that Netflix money in the same way that Henry Cavill does, or whoever, I don't even know who's producing it, I don't know if it's Netflix or if it's uh, if it's going to be like a Atlas Cinema or not, or a TV series, I've no idea. He's just in The Witcher, isn't he? The one based on the Polish fantasy novels and video games um, for oh, Netflix. I, yeah, because it is scandalous. Why haven't they cast a Scottish actor? You know, like the original did. Yeah, yeah I know, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'll be interested to know if... Uh, Christophe Lambert's going to get a call to make a wee cameo. I bet he'd be up for it. Oh, I'm sure he would. That would be very good. I'd look forward to that. Well, we'll see. I'll maybe give it a watch, but I won't be rushing out to watch it, I don't think. I would kind of go to the cinema now to see movies that I wouldn't have bothered to go and see at the cinema before. And it's only because my friend works for the company and I can basically go to the cinema for free anytime I want. I went to see um, Nobody the other week, the uh, Bob Odenkirk sort of action uh, revenge type movie. And that's one I would normally just wait to watch, you know, when it comes out on, when it comes out in video <laughs> um, or on TV. But uh, yeah, I went to see it. But it was good. I mean, it's quite good. It's, I've always liked going to the cinema, you know. I know you're not a big fan of going to the cinema, really. Fair to... No, I used to be, when I lived in Aberdeen, I think I used to go quite a lot. But then it was actually moving to yeah, Dubai. I, I hardly went to the cinema when I was there. And then, what's that, in the two years I've been living in Amsterdam, I think I've been to the cinema maybe three times. Right. So, yeah, not a huge fan of it really it, it, it's okay it's a nice experience but yeah i'd rather just watch it at home in the comfort of what my was own the last home. movie you saw at the cinema that's a very good question i think it might have been joker actually what, star wars maybe because that would have been star wars that came out after joker it did that'll be the last film i saw at the cinema then yes i did go and see star wars um that's right because that came out just before christmas yeah i think and that would have been yeah because i mean the cinemas have been closed for most of last year. So, yeah, I, that's a good point. Yeah, it would have been Star Wars, which I can't even remember the title of that. Uh, the Revenge of the, the Sith? The, the, the Rise of Skywalker? 
was it? That's the one. Yeah, Rise of Skywalker. I mean, that didn't make any sense because they, when you get to, they, sorry to spoil the film for anybody who's not seen it, but it's two years old. But I, I won't spoil it. But when you watch the when you watch the film to the to the end, like there's no Skywalkers rising in it. In fact, one of them dies in the movie, and one of them comes back as a ghost, but no one's rising. Is this another Lionel Hutz going to sue the makers of the Neverending Story <laughs> type scenario? Yeah. But you're trying to claim yeah. here that <laughs> Skywalker does not rise. So, therefore... I, I paid my £10 for my cinema ticket expecting to see some rising Skywalkers and I was cheated out of it. It's a fucking scandal, Franco. <laughs> it is. Um, <laughs> on an unrelated matter, do you remember on the last episode of The Swally we had a story about a girl that went on Naked Attraction, a girl from Aberdeen that went on Naked Attraction? And I... And I I, I didn't know an awful lot about Naked Attraction before that story. And we were talking about it, and I think I said I could not imagine anything worse than going on television and getting my cock out, right? I have found something worse. <laughs> In Japan, there is a game show. Now, I would love to tell you the name of the game show, but every time I search for uh, put it in the search engine, I get a load of blocked pornography sites. But basically, what happens in this game show is men go on to sing a karaoke song. And while they're singing the song, a very attractive Japanese lady wanks them off. And the object of the game is to get to the end of the song without shooting your load on television. Now, because it's Japanese television, it's probably on like in the the equivalent of the Knowles house party slot or something like that, right? But you only see sort of above the waist. You don't actually... Um, it's not graphic. Like they, they're shot uh, from the waist up. But the thing is... The girls are like sort of they're like Emirates kind of cabin crew. They're very very pretty. They're smiling at the camera the whole time, but <laughs> and the guys are the guys are trying to get to the end of fucking Hey Jude or something like that, right? That's quite a long song, Hey Jude. Maybe that's the final round. And they're like they're almost like crying. <laughs> <laughs> try to get to the end of their song well this wee Japanese girl was uh, wanking them off they've obviously looked at Naked Attraction and thought oh, we, could do better. we could do better than that <laughs> we'll take that one level yeah. higher what would be your song of choice wank me off before you go go <laughs> it would have to be a short turning Japanese <laughs> <laughs> by the vapours um, it would have to be a short song like um, song 2 by Blur or something like that they are <laughs> Uh, the lyrics would work yeah. as well, yeah. You'd never know. You'd have the audience on edge because you're like, as you're singing, woohoo, it's like, oh, oh, has he, has he? Yeah, it would, to, it would definitely have to be a short song. But I mean, I don't, I don't even think I could raise a smile if I was on a television, let alone be masturbation ready in front of a studio audience. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I think you do need nerves of steel to be able to do that. It does take a certain talent, I would think. And I guess it's all the re- rejects that couldn't get on to Takeshi's castle have had to <laughs> go on to whatever it's, it's called. called. <laughs> I guess they had that. I I'd love to tell you the name, but when I when I type in Japanese karaoke masturbation game show into the search engine in Google, it just comes up with Connor's uh, Scud sites, where which according to the descriptions you can click on and you can watch episodes of it, but um, such uh, websites are not allowed in the Middle East. But I get probably allowed in Amsterdam, I guess. Yeah, I'm just having a look right now. Yeah, yeah. There's quite a lot of. Oh, it's called Sing What Happens. <laughs> Which is a bit of a strange <laughs> name yeah. for it. I mean, it's it's not like give us a clue. Well, Lionel Blair, it's sing what happens. <laughs> Una Stubbs would be very shocked. I can't, at that. I can imagine. 
Michael Parkinson getting his, his old cock out on <laughs> Kevin Sickler's front of Una Stubbs and Wincy Willis. <laughs> right. <laughs> Moving on. Shall we have a look at the news? <laughs> yeah. Cue the jingle. <laughs> Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. So, Greg, apart from uh, see what happens or sing what happens, uh, have you seen anything in the news from Scotland this week that has caught your eye? Well, I have. I've got kind of two related stories and one, I guess, unrelated story, but um, or not directly related, but they're all a little bit of the supernatural and uh, fantasy sort of thing. There's been a couple of stories about the Loch Ness Monster in the Scottish Sun this week. Uh, The first one, apparently the Loch Ness Monster has been officially spotted five times this year. Uh, have you? Wow. Sure. How do you feel about the Loch Ness monster? You kind of want it to be true, but you just can't quite allow yourself. Yeah, I think of course you want it to be true. It's a it's a beautiful old tale uh, when you're a kid you grew up with, and of course we grew up with the family Ness. Oh, that's going to be a great episode. <laughs> we need to do an episode on the family Ness, <laughs> and of course Loch Ness starring Ted Danson. I'd I'd love it to be true, but I don't think so. I think that the thought that there's a big old dinosaur under there is probably a load of shit. But it, it could be a massive whale or something. You never know. Maybe. But I'd love it to be true, but I doubt it is. Well, there's a, a, a girl called Kaylin. I think I'm saying her name right. It's spelled K-A-L-Y-N. Kaylin Wangle, unusual second name. She has got cameras set up which uh, film the loch all the time and streamed images back to her computer. An object spotted her eye, or caught her eye rather. She's from, she's from Oregon in the USA. Uh, the clip shows an object moving along the excuse me, moving along the surface of the water and has been hailed as as good as it gets. <laughs> we'll put a link to the article up on the website. I mean it's it's basically like a black kind of line. I mean it could be like a plank of wood that's <laughs> just floating about. <laughs> Um, in the loch, it's according to the official Loch Ness Monster Sightings Register, which is a thing, the creature was seen moving for several minutes before disappearing. The Nessie fan wrote, at quarter past four p.m., a very large, dark shape appears to be swimming from left to right at the very front of the shore. It seems to be making a wave for a bit and either surfaces for a second or it's just under the surface. Kaylin's posted the webcam sightings on her Team Nessie channel on YouTube. She said the mystery shadow moved behind a tree and doesn't pop back up. I mean, you guys can draw your own conclusions. I'm not sure. It just looks like a dod of woods. <laughs> Someone's plugging a lock to me. <laughs> She said, a friend of mine that I met through the webcam chat asked me to take a look at it. I had never seen anything quite like it on the webcam before, and I thought it was interesting enough to make a video. When it is really visible, it's much longer than any boat that I have seen on the webcam. So, that's my first story. But my second story, which I'll go right into, is also related to the Loch Ness Monster. So Loch Ness isn't the only body of water in the world to have sort of legendary creature allegedly living in it. But according to the Scottish Sun, boffins, because that's what the Scottish Sun call scientists, boffins (laughs) are investigating whether large, mysterious sea creatures 
like the Loch Ness Monster, are actually whale penises. (laughs) So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> These uh, experts believe that the long neck or tail that you sometimes see in alleged photographs of the of uh, the Loch Ness monster, for example, is actually a whale swimming on its back with its cock up out the water. Dozens of explanations have been made for the supposed sightings of a sea serpent like the one at Loch Ness, but a study by a team of researchers published in a paper. And the archives of natural history claim the Nessie neck is just a big whale cock. The study speculated that many accounts of large, mysterious sea creatures with serpent-like tail were actually a large baleen whale and its snake-like penis. They added that other accounts could be attributed to the male members of certain whale species, which can be at least 1.8 metres long. I bet they wouldn't have any problem on... um, Sing what you see. I think you'd need a couple of the girls to <laughs> yeah, certainly would help with that, wouldn't yeah. you? That's a that's a big ask. And whale songs are quite long, aren't they? You would definitely need like some sort of screen to protect the studio audience if uh, if that thing goes off yeah. during a, a rendition <laughs> of the Long and Winding Road or something. So apparently, uh, these uh, whales' penises are sometimes spotted rising from the water. During mating, I guess they just flap it about and hope that there's a lady whale around that spots it. So the theory focused on the famous black and white photograph of Nessie, the one that which we've all seen loads of times, which was taken by a surgeon called Robert Kenneth Wilson in the 1930s. But there's something that I know about that picture that clearly the Scottish Sun doesn't know, and that is that picture... Has was exposed as a fake years ago, like not mm. long after it was uh, it was published. And I don't think that I mean I don't imagine there's a, a lot of whales swimming about in Loch Ness. It's not a it's not a sea loch. I thought whales only lived in the sea. But uh, but yeah. So let us know your thoughts on the Loch Ness monster on Twitter or Instagram, and we'll put links to this uh, ridiculous story on the website. What have you found this week? I've got two kind of linked stories as well, which I'll I'll go through both now. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first story, I just want to give a shout out to the Italian cafe in Airdrie, which is located at the back of an Aldi, and it's called Bacca Aldi's which I think is an absolutely genius name. And this kind of went viral on social media. And Aldi replied to the tweet saying, not even mad, genius. And that's a a nice little name. It's got a a big five-star rating, the the cafe. So it's a very good place to go. Uh, Yeah, so that's a brilliant little bit of naming. (laughs) Back Aldi. It's it's great, yeah, back at Aldi. It it does what it says in the tin. It's perfect. Other story that links in also concerns an Italian ice cream shop. Um, which Michael Douglas, not that one, the other one, 25, uh, was up in court at Falkirk Sheriff Court and told he was clearly a very dangerous individual after he tried to rob uh, this iconic Italian ice cream shop. So the ice cream shop is called Orlandi's and it's in Aloha. So this incident occurred at 6.50pm on November the 6th last year as Rosa Orlandi, 61, and her sister, Franca Orlandi, 65, were working in the family-run shopping cafe. Douglas entered with his face masked and moved behind the counter where Rosa was working. He pointed a knife at her and shouted, open the till. Rosa shouted back, no, and then began screaming for her sister. Franca, her sister, was in the back, heard her, came through from the kitchen to see the accused in the shop with a knife and shouted, 
uh, give me the money or and get it out of your till. Um, at this point, Rosa picked up a pool cue <laughs> and Franca picked up a chair and they chased the accused out of the shop. <laughs> it wasn't Michael Douglas's day because as he turned um, to, f- to flee out of the shop, he smashed into the, the front door, which must have hurt, I would imagine. Um, and then just so happened that a police car was coming round the corner. And the cops have actually said they were driving round the corner in their car and they just see this guy running out of the ice cream shop and these two women in their 60s chasing him, one with a pool cue and one with a chair. (laughs) It's very similar to the story that we had last week with Derek Tang in the Chinese restaurant. I I just love this when people fight back. But I just love the fact that it's two women in their 60s just so, like, no. So they were actually looking for Michael Douglas because he had attempted to rob a 16-year-old boy 40 minutes earlier. Uh, he pulled the knife in front of the boy and said, guess what you've got. But the uh, the boy just ran away. <laughs> um, so Michael Douglas obviously wasn't that, <laughs> yes, so that good. Like a master criminal. Um, definitely not. And that was really effectively it. He, got, he was up in court, so he had to pay £1,000 for the repair of the, the shop door. And he was jailed for two years and seven months. So yeah, that was that was Michael Douglas. <laughs> now uh, there's a photo of Orlandi's on the uh, in the article in the Daily Record, and I can describe it as very much like a you know the Inversnecky in Aberdeen yeah, yeah. when you go in there. So it's like a quite a small shop, mm-hmm. and but obviously they have ice cream and confectionery and everything everywhere. They don't have a pool table. Right. So <laughs> why is this granny brandishing a pool cue like, I don't know, Tom Cruise with his balabushka in The Colour of Money? Fair play, it's handy that she had it. But why has she got a pool cue just hanging about the shop? Obviously, it's for protection, yeah, I imagine. Yeah, it's the same. Maybe it's, not the f- maybe it's not the first time some fanny has tried to rob them. It's quite funny. I mean, if only he just said that he was Michael Douglas, <laughs> maybe they would have been impressed. You know, they're women in their 60s. He's, yeah. Maybe it gave him a free cone or something. So, uh, it's unfortunate for Michael, but I'm sure he'll be very popular in prison with that name. Michael Douglas. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) What else have you seen this week then, Greg? Well, from one legendary creature to another. So, I'm just going to read the headlines. I don't don't really know how, how to build it up, but the headline is, King Kong spotted looking for a flat in Bishop Briggs. A spooky image appears on window. But then, they, the this is on Glasgow Live, they've got the byline, can you see it? Not the kind of competition you want when it comes to a bidding war. So basically, it's, uh, you know how the kind of state agent will have photographs of rooms and stuff and the properties that they're trying to sell? So it looks like it's been raining, <laughs> which is no great shocks for uh, the west of Scotland. <laughs> um, so the, the window's a wee bit steamy. It also looks like there's like bushes or something on the other side of the glass. So... There is what looks, I suppose, a wee bit like a monkey's face. Like a combination of the light, the wet windows, the bushes and whatnot. But the story reads, An eagle-eyed house hunter has stumbled across some unexpected competition in the form of King Kong. The famous ape has mysteriously appeared looking for a flat in Bishop Briggs. 
with marks in a window and the sunlight combining to display an image eerily reminiscent of the famous movie character peering inside the property. Uh, the photo appears on a right move listing for a, a two-bedroom flat on Duncrime Place, if anyone's looking for a flat in Bishopbriggs. Glasgow Live reader Avon McGraw is the, is the person that found the picture. She said, Looking at flats in Bishopbriggs on right move, I came across this photo. Don't think I'll be buying this flat, though as I'm not sure about the neighbours. Is that really King Kong looking in the window? And so sort of related to that is another story. And again, it's a sort of combo. I would put it down to a combination of the light on the window, blah, blah, blah. But someone's taken a picture of ghosts of wee grannies uh, walking up the road with rain max on in Partick in Glasgow. So the picture, I'm trying to describe it, the picture is two parked cars parallel to each other uh, and I suppose what looks like two kind of Oompa Loompa-sized women <laughs> walking past, walking between the cars, but it's kind of bloody. You know, they, the, the women, and I'm doing the rabbit ears uh, punctuation marks, listeners, uh, the women, you know, they look like they might, they, they, like they're sort of dressed in <clears throat> the sort of things that our grannies used to wear. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, they're saying, oh, it's the uh, the image comes shortly after we reported on the spooky scene of ghosts of wee grannies walking up the roads with rain max on in Partick. Um, I mean, what, what do you, how do you feel about it? There was another story a few months ago uh, in Glasgow Central in the rail station. They do these tours where they take you down to the sort of unused old platforms and uh, sort of subterranean tunnels and things like that. And the man who hosts the tour, who is the kind of tour leader, he he had a group down there. He took a selfie with the group before they came back up. And over to the left in the picture. There's what looks like Uncle Fester of the Adams family, a sort of grainy kind of image that is being put down to uh, a ghost. It must be a ghost. How do you, what's your thoughts on ghosts? How do you? We're covering all the big issues. Yeah, today. I know. <laughs> Loch Ness monster, ghosts, <laughs> King Kong. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I would say to a certain extent I do believe in ghosts. Um, I think there is. Yeah, I mean it's it's a very big question, very broad. I'm not saying I believe in ghosts such as like Casper, or <laughs> but I, I believe in kind of spirits or right. things that can move or or presence. That's that's maybe more what I'm thinking of. Like I, I believe in some sort of spirituality. I mean, I'm not a medium like Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost, <laughs> so I, I can't speak to that. But yeah, I, I I believe in something. I think. Okay. What about yourself? Um. Yeah, I think I'm I'm the sort of fairly classic agnostic you know i mean i i don't know i would i would i would like to i would uh, you know it's about like the Loch Ness monster i would like to believe that there's like a big serpenty dinosaur thing that lives in Loch Ness um but like sort of deep down in my heart i can't quite bring myself to i don't know i'm too i'm too much of a skeptic what to do i don't know what to do i mean ghostbusters is one of my favorite films <laughs> but true. i don't know if i <laughs> Believe that, and and Ghost Dad as well. But Bill Cosby ruined that for me now. Yeah, we're not allowed to like Ghost Dad anymore, or the Cosby Show. <sighs> no, that's all. That's all ruined now. Never mind. Do you have any more stories? I do. I've got one more, um, and this is from the Daily Record uh, this week. Obviously, the the pubs are open again. Hooray! So people can go in and drink. 
But obviously some people have missed the pubs so much that they've maybe not been able to, to handle themselves quite well. So a drunk Scots punter writes grovelling apology letter to Barr after stealing thermometer and plate. <laughs> uh, the general story is that this uh, this Huxley bar and restaurant in Edinburgh, um, this punter was there for a night out and then they'd woken up the next morning to discover that they had stolen the bar's thermometer. Right. They, so they returned it with a letter. So I'm going to read the letter to you now because it is quite amusing, the letter. So this letter is dated the 10th of May, 2021. To the employees at the Huxley and whomever this may concern, I was at your establishment over the weekend having a beautiful time. I have been drinking throughout the day to the point of many regrets. <laughs> After copious amounts of wine and cocktails, I somehow became extremely infatuated with one of your thermometers and in that process decided it would be a brilliant idea to take it home with me. According to my friends, after a few more drinks in your outdoor seating area, I was very loud, disruptive, and acting in a way that I am genuinely embarrassed about, and probably will be for the rest of my days. The next part of the story I have no recollection of. I am told that upon our Uber arriving, to save your employees from us, I attempted to take my burger away with me, whilst it was still on a plate. <laughs> As a result, I was running through the streets manically, being chased by one of your very brave employees, trying to retrieve said plate. Thankfully, he got to me in time and recovered it safe and sound. I wanted to write to formally apologise to you all, and I would have come in to apologise in person, but I'm currently too ashamed <laughs> over my drunken antics, and I also have an exceptional hangover, which I deserve. <laughs> I'm deeply sorry for all the trouble I have caused, both your employees and the establishment in general, and I have definitely learned a lot from this situation. Please accept my sincere apologies for any upset or offence caused by my actions, and know this will never happen again. I have placed the stolen item, plus some Kit Kats and Magic Stars, in the package and hope for its safe return. Yours sincerely, the very sorry plate thief. Uh, so, a, a lovely little yeah, story yeah. in terms of a nice little letter that they've sent. And they interviewed the bar's manager, and he did say, he said, oh, she was great when she arrived. Uh, she was adamant that she needed a selfie with the thermometer. Why can't I say that word today? Thermometer. Uh, when taking the temperature, and uh, when staff's backs were turned, she pinched the thermometer. <laughs> Uh, after being sat for a while, she ran off with her burger. <laughs> Staff got to her, boxed it up, and gave it to her to take away. So, that leads me to a question, I suppose. Have you ever stolen anything from a pub? Yes. I actually, yes. I actually, <laughs> I actually um, stole something from a pub that you worked in. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's gone now, so it doesn't matter. But when I first, uh, when I first left home and I moved into Aberdeen for college... I was sharing a flat in Uckert Terrace with a girl that I was friends with. So the way the flat was laid out, the, this girl had the living room as her bedroom. Her sister had one of the bedrooms and I had the other bedroom. But I didn't have anything to dry my clothes on. And I had been in Heroes, I think, and I was really drunk. And I was walking back and I was passing by the Daytona Exchange, Bar and Grill, uh, which, is now, which is now TGI Fridays at Queen's Links, Leisure Park in Aberdeen. And they had on their patio all these metal chairs. And I thought to myself, that would make a great error for my wet clothes when I take them out of the washing machine. So I picked one up and I fucking legged it. You know the big, um, right across, you know the big, there's like two big kind of grassy bits on either side of the yeah. of the Beach Boulevard. I fucking yeah. legged it. 
all the way by on my own. It was, it was probably about midnight or something. Maybe not even that late. I think there was still people in Daytona cleaning up. You might have been in Daytona. <laughs> you? I might have been, been in, there. in there cleaning up. <laughs> I just uh, yeah, because I think we all we took those tables in every night. Right. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, I do remember because I used to take those tables and chairs in sometimes. So, so it was, it was sort of stainless steel. Yeah. Um, the chairs they were they were metal. Um, oh yeah, I remember them. I remember the tables as well because they were kind of like round yeah. little circular metal tables. Oh, I remember those chairs yeah. yeah never returned it kept it used it as an error for quite a long time and in fact until i moved out of that flat i just i just left it behind for the next person who rented the room <laughs> so yeah what about you yeah uh, many things over the years i suppose i mean you can say the odd pint glass mm. here and there maybe because it was nice um i know a time with you actually we we stole quite a few limes <laughs> from a bar in glasgow <laughs> Um, right. I, I was back for the cup final and I woke up with this lime and I was like, this is the lime of destiny. That was a lucky lime, this wasn't is it? Win. It was a lucky yeah. lime. Yeah, I, I, buddy, I took it to the football with me and everything. Yeah. I've got photos of my brother-in-law biting down on the lime <laughs> as the like we're having the penalty shootout and stuff. Um, that was a lucky lime. I, I remember... Heroes had just opened, and it must have been like I think one of its opening days was Scotland against Brazil in the World Cup, and I went there. I was only seventeen, because that was the story. I got in there for every game apart from the last one Mm. when I got ID'd, (laughs) and they just opened, and they had these little, you know, little just cards that were on every table, and it had all the fixtures for the World Cup on it, and I remember stealing one of them. But I put it up my jacket, and then as I was leaving, the doorman asked me what was under my jacket, thinking I was you know, taking a pint out or something. Um, but it was just this harmless card. But uh, he let me keep right. it. Fair play to him. <laughs> um, I can't think of anything big. I mean, talking of Daytona, yeah, because it, it shut down and changed into a TGI. Yeah. So on the last night, I was working there before it changed. And we knew that the next day there was a team coming in to do all the inventory of stuff. Right. And in the cellar, there was a lot of memorabilia stuff that hadn't been put up in the bar. So we're talking like like Miami Dolphins football helmets and yeah. hockey sticks and baseball bats and stuff. So um, someone who you know... Um, that was working there at the same time. Not who you think, right, someone else. Right. Um, I'll just say it's <laughs> I'll beat that out. We, um, we basically parked my Ford Escort at the, the kind of gates and just loaded it up right. with stuff. <laughs> From Daytona. So, so, what's that, and then, what sort of stuff did you take home? <laughs> stuff, like, stuff like baseball bats right. and hockey sticks. Stuff that I ended up just throwing out. Right. I did take like a few boxes of like shot glasses and stuff that to this day, my sister still Is has. She? <laughs> like uh, tequila glasses and stuff. <laughs> I'll be all right saying that. Yeah, I? They're, they're, out of business, they're out of business fucking years ago. I remember because um, I used to work in the restaurant next door. Uh, well, Frankie and Betty's, I used to work with Frank Betty's next door. And we shared this big sort of, um, a big kind of storage area with Pizza Hut up the stairs. So we used to take our breaks in there and we'd go in there for a smoke and stuff. I mean, you would get in a lot of trouble for doing that. You'd probably get a lot of trouble for doing that back then because it was a total fire hazard. But we'd go in there for a smoke and everything and just have a... We used to keep all like our spare like plates and glasses and crockery and everything in there. So uh, we were having a rifle through Pizza Hut stuff one day <laughs> and we found... So they used... Pizza Hut used to have a mascot for kids' parties called the Pizza Pooch and they had boxes and boxes of these little plush... Pizza pooches, little kind of pizza push uh, teddy bears, and we discovered that 
they had like a feature, and if you could squeeze their tummies and say something to the, the little to the pizza pooch, and then when you squeeze tummy again, it would repeat it back to you. So we would spend like days just like swearing into these pizza pooches. So I like hoping that when the kids had that, this is I mean, this does not cast me in a good light. The only thing I will say is I was very, very young. But they were hoping that like the kids would squeeze the pizza pooches tummy at a kid's party and it'd be like, fuck off, you cunt, or something. <laughs> but the other thing that happened, they had a they had a pizza pooch costume that some fucking poor waiter would have to wear at the kids' parties. And it I don't I I genuinely don't know what happened to it, but it disappeared out of there. Someone stole it. It was probably one of the waiters that worked in there who thought, if I get rid of this, I never have to wear it again. But um, the manager came down and she was absolutely raging. And she was, like, one of your staff has stolen the pizza pooch costume. It's an absolute disgrace. And I was like, well, I don't know what me to do. You know, I mean, I, you know, I'll ask. And if anybody has, I'll try and compel them to return it. I said, but no one's going to admit it. But then every time somebody went on holiday from our staff, they would send a postcard to the pizza hut from the pizza pooch. So people were... <laughs> <laughs> they were getting postcards from like Ibiza, from Thailand, Jersey. <laughs> Having a great time on holiday. Love the pizza pooch. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, you wouldn't get away with that stuff. No, nowadays. no, no. And I, do not, and I don't condone that type of behaviour, by the way, anymore. I'm older and wiser. It was a, it was a good laugh at the time. It was a really good laugh at the time. Oh, anyway. Okay, so this might be the last episode of the Dr. Swally because might be arrested after that. Um, okay. uh, have you got anything else that uh, you've seen in the news no, this week, Craig? No, that was, that's it. I, mean, I found the news a bit hard going this week of Scottish news. It was all sort of Rangers fans blowing their fingers off and upsetting everybody by gathering and smashing up George's Square and everything, Glasgow and stuff. There was I was a sort of struggle to find any kind of reasonably light news this week. Okay. Uh well, it was your choice this week, Craig. And you've uh, that you selected for what we were going to review. So I'll let you do a little introduction as to what we're going to be talking about today. Well, in the last episodes, um, I mentioned that, you know, we've done, this is like our 22nd episode, and we've never done anything as yet with, arguably, maybe after Sean Connery, Scotland's most famous sort of personality of the last easily 50 years. And of course, I mean, Billy Connolly. So I chose this week um, 1993's down Among the Big Boys, written by Peter McDougall, originally broadcast on BBC One in September 1993 as part of their Screen One anthology uh, TV series. It stars Billy Connolly, of course, in the lead. Uh, it also stars uh, Ewan Stewart, um, Gary Marta, Rab Affleck, Douglas Henshaw, who we've had on the Swally before, Swally favourite Alex Norton, Maggie Bell, uh, famous singer of the Taggart song, uh, and Ashley Jensen, who a long time after this came out would go on to find worldwide fame um, as Maggie in Extras, Ricky Gervais's show. So the synopsis, uh, a big time operator in Glasgow's criminal underworld masterminds a daring bank robbery. However, his steps are dogged by a smart young police officer who also happens to be his future son-in-law. Um, it's described as a dark drama. I don't know about you, I, I wouldn't say it's particularly dark drama. Um, no. I, mean, I had seen this before, 
Uh, I think when we spoke in the last episode, you weren't too sure if you'd watched it before. So now you've watched it. Was that your, was that a first viewing for you, or had you seen it before? I'm still not sure. You're still not sure. <laughs> still not sure. Right. Watching it, I was thinking, I haven't seen this. But then there were a few key scenes that seemed familiar. Right. Now, I'm not sure if maybe I've watched like a, a documentary on Billy Connolly or something, and they've maybe had a couple of clips from right. it. But there were a couple of key scenes that I thought, I, I have seen this, but I, I certainly couldn't remember enough if you know what I mean like it 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 did feel like it was almost the first time it was almost just like kind of a a strange sense of maybe deja vu right whilst watching it okay but maybe I was mixing up with a few other things but for the purposes I'll say yes it was the first time I'd seen it so did you enjoy it (laughs) I did I did really enjoy it it was very good um I definitely wouldn't describe it as what was it a dark drama dark drama yeah it's not I'd say it's more of a black comedy if anything like yeah. In a way. It's it's a dramedy. You do have the, the dark kind of story and subplot, but there's a lot of funny moments in it. Yeah. And you kind of it's Billy Connolly. Yeah, exactly. And he does it he does brilliantly in, in this yeah. because it's just it's the perfect tone. He is quite dark and menacing mm-hmm. and he's very believable as this kind of big underworld boss that you kind of know you can kind of maybe have a bit of a laugh and a joke with, but don't push him too far. But he's also very funny. Yeah in it as well I don't, I don't think Billy Connolly can be anything but I mean I've, I, I don't know I, obviously I've seen you know some of the darker roles that he's done like the debt collector and I, I, I genuinely don't think I've ever seen Mrs. Brown which wouldn't surprise you because it's not the type of film I would <laughs> no, watch I've seen Mrs. Brown so I mean he he obviously um, got a lot of acclaim for his, his part in Mrs. Brown he has very good chemistry mm. with Judy Dench, you know what I mean? That's you know, like the the best scenes in that film are the scenes when it's just the two hander with them. And when you have Billy Connolly in something, I don't think it always works if he isn't being funny to some extent. Do you know what I mean? Like the mm. the, the debt collector. I've not seen it for years. I have seen it, but I did watch it a couple of times when it was not too long after it came out. And I don't know why, because the debt collector he does play it totally straight. It's obviously based on the life oh. of, uh, it's sort of loosely based on the life of Jimmy Boyle, who's a notorious uh, Glasgow gang member of the sixties who became a, a quite a renowned artist when he was in prison and when he came out of prison. And there's there's a there's a film about him called A Sense of Freedom, uh, which is mm. better than the debt collector. But um, yeah, it's something doesn't quite work. In the deck collector, because you know you, you kind of need Billy Connolly to be funny. I was watching this; is going to sound like completely unrelated, but I was watching op, uh, Oprah Winfrey interview Eddie Murphy yesterday, and Eddie Murphy mm. was you know they were talking about what it is to be a comedian and that kind of thing, and Eddie Murphy was saying, you know, he, he said like, if you talk to me long enough, I'm going to say something funny. I can't help it. You know what I mean? They say, you know, it's like I'm a, you know, he says like my my comedian training is that I, I, we observe like comedians observe everything. He says that I, you know, he said if you if you show a comedian your if you show like a group of people your brand new car, the comedian will be the one to spot a little scratch in the paintwork. Nobody else. You know yeah. what I mean? So you know, I think. If you're going to put Billy Connolly in something, but he has to be funny. But the, you know, and this isn't the first Peter McDougall drama that Billy Connolly has acted in. Like he did a couple in the seventies. He did Elephant's Graveyard with John Morrison and Just Another Saturday with John Morrison. And in Just Another Saturday, he he's, he's it's not he's not like his part isn't he's not got a massive part in it. But in Elephant's Graveyard, it's 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 like a it's a two hander with him and John Morrison, and he's a good actor. 
Billy Connolly. But when you see him in those old ones, you feel like he's sort of playing a version of himself. Do you know what I mean? In those old mm. 1970s ones, like in the in just another Saturday, we, we might cover it in the Swally in the future, maybe, but it's about a young boy who is, like a young man, I guess, who is in the Orange Lodge. And he just like, he, you know, he's not really into the politics of it. Billy Connolly plays a guy that he works beside who's a Catholic that he gets on really well with. But you, know, you see him, he's in the pub, sort of holding court, telling funny stories, cracking jokes and everything. And then he's, his part in Elephant Graveyard is a little bit like that as well. So it's good to see him in this kind of really being, being given a chance to kind of flex his acting muscles, if you like, a little bit. It's a lead part. He's he's surrounded by some fantastic Scottish actors in it. You know, like yeah. Douglas Henshaw was he's quite young. Um Ashley Jensen's obviously quite young. I don't know if Maggie Bell was done an awful lot of acting kind of before or after this, but she's quite good and you and you sort of get the sense that she's good in it because there's probably like some kind of relationship with Connolly from like the seventies. They know each other yeah. and they're friends and you can see that they have a bit of chemistry. Yeah, you know, I mean yeah, I think I don't. I mean, if I'm being honest, I don't think Billy Conley is a. I don't think he like he's an amazing actor, but he's good. At, he's good at what he does. You know. Oh yeah, as I say, his performance was completely believable. Mm-hmm. I, I had you know he had me convinced as this kind of gangster that obviously has a his home life as well, and and the scenes with him with the family completely bought into. Mm-hmm. You know, the, as you touched upon there, there must have been some relationship with Maggie Bell personally because you you really do believe that they are this kind of married couple that have been together for yeah you know decades yeah yeah completely believe into that and you do feel the kind of torture of jojo's character especially towards the end not to to rush ahead but when he kind of works out you know what's he going to do about louis yeah you do almost believe because even you know maggie bell's character jane i think even she's kind of questioning what's he going to do because you know even even she doesn't know what is he going to do about this is it possible that he is going to bump him off or what's going to happen but at the end of the day he loves his daughter so much that it's impossible that's one thing i did like really liked about it as well it had you kind of questioning before the big reveal that louis is actually a copper because they hint up at it a few times but they don't actually say because initially he says about it being a mixed marriage yeah when he's questioned in the pub and then you're kind of led to believe that think oh it's a catholic protestant thing and then it's revealed that obviously he's CID. I know, and that's the thing. And if, and Peter Dougal has, you know, he's Peter Dougal. He's sort of he's clearly interested in the kind of the Glas the Glasgow or West of Scotland uh, Catholic Protestant thing because he's written mm. at least two plays that I know of that study it. You know, I remember the first time because I sort of came across this because all his um, dramas were released on DVD around the kind of mid. Uh, 2000s and I'd seen it I'd seen them being advertised in the Daily Record and I thought I'm going to buy them so when they came out I did and it was Just a Boys Game Just Another Saturday Elephant's Graveyard and and this one Mm. and so I thought I'll watch them kind of chronologically like from wait as as they came out and this was the last one because this is actually the last this is the last drama that Peter McDougall's ever had on the on the the television which is a scandal 
to be honest, I think, because I don't know that we've ever had a Scottish writer who who's really who can really sort of portray the West of Scotland experience like like Peter McDougall. Yeah, I thought it's this is going to be another sort of West of Scotland Catholic Protestant study, and it is sort of hinted at a little bit. You know, I think you know it's sort of suggested that um, Jojo and his family are the are Catholic, and obviously with Louis, uh, Louis, and his um, his fa- his father, Louis Senior. They're both police officers, and you know they sort of traditionally, well, certainly back in the old days, it was quite a Protestant profession in Glasgow to be a, a police officer and stuff. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get very many Catholic police officers in the west of Scotland. And I thought it was going to be yet another study of that dynamic, but maybe mm. updated for the nineties. So like when when you when you when you get the big reveal when the mugger tries to uh, rob um, Dougie Henshaw and Ashley Jensen, and he gets his warrant card out. Right, it's that's what they mean by a mixed marriage. <laughs> it's interesting you touched upon the Peter McDougall writing the the kind of West of Scotland characters, mm. and that was what struck with me watching this. I was fully invested in the the main story and the main characters, but it's almost the side characters that kind of steal it. Yeah, and there's a couple of like random snippets, like the couple that are outside the Italian restaurant, yeah. and it, it, saying, "Oh, you don't want to eat all that pasta, you know? Come on, let's go home and get a piece and sausage." <laughs> yeah. Look what? at all the different kinds of things you can eat. My can hardly take it all in. No, 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 I can't go that pasta. Greasy Italian food's no good for you. It's not healthy it is. Makes you all big and fat and that. Come on, there's a bus, come on. Let's go and have a piece of sausage. It's a wonderful little insight. And again, you have, as you say, the, the guys trying to mug him in the park. You have the, the other two cops that I love before they arrest Gary Lewis' character later on. And he's just sitting eating a fucking scotch pie with beans on the top in his car, um, <laughs> which I think was great. And then uh, even the, the two guys that are, I mean, you could say they're not really side characters as such, but the, the two guys that are fit in the window. Yeah. When... Freddie Borley's shop window gets panned in. Yeah. You know, they're great as well. And I love their little coat. Aye, no. Yeah. It's <laughs> fucking genius. <laughs> but all these little side characters just make it into uh, this beautifully crafted kind of thing. Even you know, John Bett as the forger. Yeah. It, immediately, I'm like, Jesus, who, who is that? Who do I know him from? And it's like, oh, fuck, it's John Bett, of course. <laughs> Christ, he's shot up the swally tally again with his appearance. Yeah, yeah, here. yeah. But all these little side characters just just make it for me. It was so good. And I mean, my, my f- favourite character of the whole thing is Bungle. <laughs> yeah, I knew it would be. We can come to <laughs> Thought, yeah. He's just fantastic. He's just the comic timing. He's got so many beautiful pieces. For me, I was howling with laughter in the final third where you have the, well, you think it's the three of them in the car in terms of you have Jojo and um, Alex Norton's character, Dan, and I think it's Gary yeah. as well that's in the car. And you, you genuinely think it's just the three of them having this conversation. And then Bungalow's head just comes out yeah. <laughs> into shot from the rear seat. And you're like, Jesus, has he been there the whole time? This has been like a three minute scene and you haven't seen him. And he's the biggest character in the film. But yeah, he's just, it's comedy and he's just brilliant. Yeah. It's just the, the, this kind of lovable character that, you know, could probably kill you in yeah, an instant. No. Yeah. Rab Affleck's been he's he's been like a fairly consistent grafter for years. Mm. He pops up in all kinds of things. Yeah, I mean but that 
he but just the character of bungalow the name and everything yeah i mean oh i mean it's just like i, I think that again that's the kind of genius uh, of uh, peter mcdougall you know he's he's got he's got dancer in just a boys game and as soon as you know mm. the character's name's dancer you know exactly what kind of character he is you know what i mean about the white boy <laughs> fly guy but they likes the ladies and all that kind of thing and then you got bungalow and the name just you know he's a fuck he's solid as fuck you know what i mean you fucking knock your pan in did you spot a young Billy Boyd flinging his jacket over the bar? I did, yes. Um, I did notice that. To be fair, I had read that he was in it. Yeah. Because um, right. I'd kind of been doing a little bit of, not research. Pre work. Yeah, just had a little look. Um, I'd just been writing up my notes in terms of the cast list and stuff before I watched it. And I did read that it was young Billy Boyd that throws his uh, jacket over the bar. Yeah. One scene that I thought, going back to Billy Conley, that he is uh, particularly good in is when he turns up at... He, he gets back home and they're having the Hindu and they're, sing, they're singing... Yeah. They're singing... Uh, they're singing Goodnight Girl and the girls say, oh, come on, Jojo, come and, uh, come and sing. It's wet, wet, wet. And he's like, wet, wet, wet. Pish, pish, pish. Long weekend, that's all. Moon, Mr. Donnelly's wet, wet, wet! Pish, 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 <laughs> Billy. I want you to look out the window for us singing round the back. Oh, Is that where a young person's guide to becoming a rock star got the idea to call their band Bonk, Bonk, Bonk? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> but, yeah, he's fantastic there. And you do believe he's come home and he's kind of like, he loves his daughter and he's like, hello, girls. Like, they all love him as well. Now, yeah. just prior to that, you have the Hindu and they're going round the pubs and collecting money, a pound a kiss for the bride. Yep. Was that a thing? I, I don't really remember that, but I would have been too young. But was that a thing, that hen nights you would go round and collect money? Because they're pushing her around in a trolley like she's a guy. Yeah, like, you know, Guy Fox night kind of yeah. penny for the guy. But was that a thing? Oh, that's another side characters as well that you've, I forgot about. The the couple in the pub, the, the old man that, that gives the bride a kiss yeah. and his wife's like, you satisfied now? Again, another example of just these little side characters that you never see a again but having a big impact but yeah this um pound a kiss is, was that a thing was that collecting money for the night out or yeah for something it's a fucking genius idea yeah i mean i think it's definitely a, it was a thing i mean i can remember you know when i first started going out to the pub and stuff when i was about 16 and i, and I remember i can remember seeing that a couple of times and no, I don't think it was like collecting money. It was just come and give the bride a kiss. And it wasn't like a lingering kiss. It was like a, a peck in the cheek. I feel like I I feel like I pecked a few brides to be in the cheek on Union Street when I was younger. I feel like none that really stick in my mind. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I feel like I definitely did it. I mean it's not now. I mean a hen do now is all the girls off out out to Ayanapa or somewhere, right? And or a big night out in town or something. It's just it's I think Hindus are more like stag do's now, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the other the other actor in this who's interesting is is Ewan Stewart. Because even when I was watching this for the Swally, I was thinking, what, what has he been in? Because he's got one of those faces. And I think probably his most famous role is as one of the officers on 
Titanic, who mm. who shoots the Irish fella and then shoots himself, and there was a big. He was, he was obviously he was portraying a real person and the family of that guy. There was a big story about it because obviously they he had been used for dramatic effect, and by all accounts that never happened. Uh, you know when oh. when the Titanic sank. So, but yeah, I mean, that was like that was a big part for him, and then he's. And again, I hope we cover this one in the future, but he's, he plays um, a gangster in Looking After Jojo, the Edinburgh mm. 1980s set um, drama with Robert Carlyle and, um, about, uh, and Kevin McKidd about the about the other drama about the heroin epide- epidemic in Edinburgh in the 1980s. I mean, the thing that, you know, I think Peter McDougall has, uh, you know, he, he has a few sort of kind of fingerprints on his scripts. And I think the main one is these sort of Glasgow or West of Scotland expressions. So mm. I've made a note of some of my favourite ones. There's the one that Billy Conley says when he says, they look like they fell off the back of the Lourdes bus. <laughs> she made me laugh. The two pool players in the in the bar, when they get when Jojo and his, his team leave the bar, and one of them says to the other, he thinks he's tough. And his pal says, you mean he isn't he sure? <laughs> Maggie Bell's uh, classic, and you would only hear this in Glasgow, I think. You've just had too much to drink, Hen. Have a wee whiskey. It'll make you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, Billy Conley says uh, tickety-boo a lot, but mm. what made me chuckle the most is when he says tickety-fuckety-boo. <laughs> 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 And then when Douglas Henshaw, when they're in the bank after the robbery in the in the safe, and they're talking about the orange walk going by at the same time, and he says, "Well, that that eliminates everybody who lives in Mark Hall." <laughs> yeah, I mean to talk about the robbery, it's a genius idea. Yeah, they get poor Freddie Bordley, who is a Swally favourite. Yep, he's basically set up, and he's very short performance, mm. but he's very good. He has a wonderful speech about you know trying to get a job in the city and how difficult it is when you've got kids, and it's a real impassioned speech. From Freddie. Yeah. But they set him up with his shop, but it's to break into the bank. And it's genius, really, the way they're tunneling in. Yeah. And those scenes when they are in the vault, that was something that kind of triggered, like, have I seen this before? It was the, the scene where they're putting the, the kind of explosives around the, the lock boxes. Yeah. It was brilliant when they blow the first one and it's it's so loud and they say, you know, it's basically just scud mags that come out <laughs> yeah. of the box. <laughs> I love the line that when he when he, gets, he picks up the radio and says to the two glazers, did you hear that? He says, I never heard anything. I was blown off my ladder by a massive explosion. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just the timing of, oh, right, well, what the fuck are we going to do? <laughs> oh, there's an orange walk coming. <laughs> it's perfect. It's just so good. And those scenes are just, you know, fantastic. And even the glazer, when the policeman's saying, you need to move the van, we've got an orange walk coming. And he says, is it worth putting the window in? <laughs> <I know. laughs> Nice little moments like that. But yeah, it's a, a very kind of genius way to, to rob the bank and safe deposit box. And as Douglas Henshaw's character points out, like half the stuff won't even be reported as stolen because if you've got it stashed down there, yeah. then there's probably a reason you've got it stashed down there. You don't want to admit you've got it or you're you're trying to claim it or something. What did you think of Douglas Henshaw's performance in this? I, I thought he was okay. He was a little bit wooden at times. Didn't have me quite fully invested as such. I think he was probably still finding his acting chops. Mm-hmm. He was he was okay. 
it worked well with Ashley Jensen. Yeah. He had a couple of decent scenes. I did like the scene when he is at the crime scene in the the vault, you know, and he's kind of commanding the yeah. the area. He looked convincing. The best scene in terms of his performance for me was when he turns up at JoJo's when he's drunk. And it was a very convincing drunk acting performance from my point. And again, a very, you know, humorous, because you're kind of on edge because you're like, okay, JoJo knows, but mm. it, does he know that JoJo knows? And he's pissed and he's JoJo, JoJo. And Conley's like, you like the sound of my name or... Yeah. Was it when you stopped saying my name? Or yeah, he says. He says, "Do you like just like the sound of my name or something?" He says. So I, yeah, I think he was he was good, but he's been a lot better. If that yeah, makes sense. I think when you when you compare that performance to, I mean, the only other thing we've done so far with him in it is obviously Orphans, and mm. you know when you compare you compare it to his performance as Michael in Orphans to this one, it's you know Orphans is obviously much much better. He's he's phenomenal in that film. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. The, the, the whole cast is in Orphans. Yeah, though. It, yeah. it's a absolutely phenomenal film. But uh, yeah, you're right. He does, you know, improve. But he is he's good. He, he's believable. You do believe in what he's doing. I, I'm convinced that he's a copper. I'm convinced that he's in love with Jojo's daughter. I'm convinced that he likes Jojo. I'm convinced that he had a slightly tenuous relationship with his dad. Yeah. And seems to get on better with his uncle, played by, as you mentioned, the swally favourite Alex Norton, yep. parading around in his towel <laughs> for the first part, he's, with his gut hanging over it. Hairy shoulders. <laughs> and his beautiful moustache. He looks less like Phil Collins now. You can see the transition is starting. <laughs> he's great as a kind of believable, slimy lawyer. That, I, I mean, Alex Norton. <laughs> saying Alex Norton is great. That's that's basically, yeah, end of sentence there. But yeah, he's, he's very believable as kind of the slimy uncle involved in the bad things and it's quite sinister at the end you know when he basically hands the deeds to the house to louis yeah and effectively comes clean of what's about to happen and what's you know been happening you touched on it before when you were talking about Dougie Henshaw and you know the relationship that louis has with his dad so obviously his dad is a policeman too but he's never He's never got out of uniform. He's never risen to the same CID heights as Louis has. It's a really strange... It's sort of strange. I mean, I th- like, uh, Ken Drury, who plays Louis Sr., plays a good part. But the part's a bit of a strange one because before we meet him, he's kind of built up to be a bit of a sort of tyrant, if you like, and mm. uh, sort of problematic and whatnot. But then he sort of... I don't know if it because I thought it was just Ken Drury's performance, but even when he's been a wee bit controlling over Louis's mum and stuff in the restaurant, and you know he, he he doesn't want Louis to get married because he wants him to get promoted first and establish his career before he settles down, and he just sort of comes full circle pretty quickly, and you're sort of given the impression that he's kind of bullied Louis's mum for years and years. But then she just, like, stands up to him pretty early on as well. You know, mm. like, they have that that quite... It's quite a good scene that they have just the t- together when they're talking about the evening's plans to go for dinner and meet Billy Conley and Maggie Bell, the, the new parents and new in-laws and things, and they're drinking sherry in the morning. <laughs> I should do. Mm. And she's like, yo, here, just have another one. You know, have a, pour another sherry for us both. Knock, knock it back in one and all that. And you're like, well, I don't know. I mean, if, if, it sort of feels like you need longer for her to get to that position. And you need to establish the kind of more unpleasant aspects of his character sooner. You know, I think, I th- I think where... 
this um, film struggles a bit is that there are so many characters. It's only an hour and a half long, so it's quick. Mm. You know, it's it, it fairly runs by, but there are so many characters played by so many really good actors. And, you know, apart from like Jojo, Louie, and, and bizarrely kind of guys like Bungalow and, and, and Jojo's team, they're the only ones that are really given time to kind of develop and you get to know them. You know, the other ones, it's like, right, we need to get Louis Sr. from A to B pretty quickly. So by the time he's in the pub with Jojo and they're having a beer and, and they're, you know, and celebrating the engagement, he's, you know, he's, he's not like a problematic character anymore. He's, a, mm. you know, he's... He's, he's sound, you know, you like him and he's, he's because, you know, and you start to feel a bit sorry for him because it's obvious, although it's never really explained or drawn out, all the photographs that they take of him getting the gifts are obviously they're designed to be maybe blackmail material later on if required and you're just sort of yeah. left to work that out for yourself. So you, you start to feel a bit sorry, yeah. you feel a bit sorry for him, you're like, oh, you know, he seems he's a nice fella, you know, <laughs> he likes a drink and they're just, they're just drinking neat vodka in the afternoon when it's JoJo's fucking <laughs> It's very true because that's, as you see, like when uh, Jojo and him come back from the pub and he's stumbling up the drive to the, and r- the wrong door, <laughs> the mother does say, like, you know, don't think of that as your father. Think of that as a holiday for me in Greece. Yeah. If she was such a pushover and he'd bullied her all these years, she's not going to be yeah. saying that and thinking that. I, she's got him under the thumb, but you know what I mean? I think she's in control. Yeah. So I agree. I don't know where this kind of impression that he is this massive tyrant that you know forced Louis to go into the police yeah. and is pissed off that Louis you know excelled to CID whereas he's been stuck as a sergeant for years yeah I don't get that I quite like the character of the dad I he's, do yeah he's alright he's he seems like a nice enough guy he's, he just wants the best for his son and you know he's, okay, he's dedicated to his career but yeah he seems alright he's the most sort of morally established character in it do you know what I mean? Like he's, you know, he's he's clearly on the side of the good guys. You've got Alex Norton that you touched oh. on earlier on, who he's clearly very fond of Louis as his nephew and everything, but he's also bit of a shyster and a dodgy guy. Obviously, Jojo, as much as we enjoy Billy Conley, he's a criminal. All these guys, all his team are all criminals. And, you know, I mean, I'm talking about the, the male character. Then you've got Louis Sr., who he, he is what you see. He's a good guy, uniformed police officer, beat officer, whatever. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's just, I don't know, I think it's, it sort of loses its way a little bit. And I, I don't know if it's the direction, because when I was reading some of the reviews, like the director got a bit of, uh, the director's name is, let me get my notes here, uh, Charles Gormley. Um, he gets a bit of stick for just his direction being a bit dull. Like one reviewer said, for every great scene or great bit of dialogue, there's like a kind of cringy bit. And I, the bit that, mm. the, the scene that I could have really done without is uh, the mums and Claire singing Don't Go Breaking My Heart on the karaoke machine. I could have lived yeah. without that. You know, and, and when Dougie Henshaw has to stand, his character Louis has to stand and watch the end of them singing that song. And I can feel what he must... Well, I, well, maybe he didn't feel that he's an actor, but just what, how I would feel in that situation, just like wishing the floor would open up <laughs> and swallow me whole. I, you know, I just felt like... And even there's a scene with Maggie Bell just singing on her own in the karaoke machine before all the girls come back for the for the hen do and it's like well obviously Maggie Bell's a famous uh, established singer it's like well we need to have a scene of her singing you know yeah and it's it's kind of you know it's 
don't really need it. You know, you could have used that time to sort of develop some of these sort of next level characters a wee bit, you know? I don't know. I mean, but then the next level characters or, or side characters are kind of to make it. I mean, you could speak about Gary Lewis's mm. character, who's is kind of integral to the plot in a way. Yes, yeah. But he's only in, you know, what, four five scenes in total but yeah. he, he does have kind of a in fact i think he's credited as jacketless man yeah. he doesn't even have a name yeah yes. so you know and he's hardly got any lines in terms of apart from going into the pub to order his half pint of whiskey and saying he can't pay and had a barman violently taken his jacket from him yeah <laughs> yeah he doesn't really have anything else and quite right he would take the jacket out of the window because yeah. it's pushing with rain. I don't. I mean, those clothes in the shop. I mean, even for the early nineties, those <laughs> clothes. I mean, they were pretty out there, right? Yeah, they were. Do so I think uh, Freddie Bordley a wee bit wasted in that in that role in terms of like a talent yeah. like his? We need to we need to find something that because we when we did just a boys game, Freddie Bordley's got like a almost a cameo part in that tiny part oh. in it. And obviously, it's not a very big part in this one either. It'd be good to um, be good to find something where to find something that he's been in that we can uh, we can give him some proper swally attention. You know, I agree with you. I think, yeah, I don't know if he's wasted in this role because he plays a good part, and yeah. it needed a good character that you can kind of sympathise with. And as I say, his speech that he delivers about you know how difficult it is about you know getting a job if you've got kids, it's it's a real impassioned speech that I'm on board with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I can agree maybe slightly wasted but i think he he played his part fantastic yeah i mean you know he's a he's a he's a great actor fred freddie board they always you know he's he's got like an early tagger that he's really good in like one of the i think it's maybe the could be as early as maybe the third or fourth like tagger story and he's he's brilliant in it he's so good um but i'll i think it was it was you that told me i'll Whenever I think of Freddie Bordley, I always think of how Peter McDougall described him as James Dean with the flu. <laughs> it's just <laughs> such a good, so you know, it's such a good uh, description of anybody. And then you mentioned Gary Lewis. So I mean, I get this. I guess this is quite early in Gary Lewis's. I think he came to acting a bit later in life. You know, I mean, it's just every part that Gary Lewis plays, there's always this real kind of vulnerability about the character. You know, oh, if yeah, you think yeah. about Thomas and Orphans is probably the best example of it. But it's Billy Elliot's dad, um, and Billy Elliot, and he's you know he's the conflicted minor. He, he wants to be on strike with his uh, his workmates and his son, but he also. He understands that he needs to earn money to send Billy off to this dancing school and everything because the boy's got a talent. And he, you know, I can never imagine Gary Lewis playing like a like a proper hard man. Do you know what I mean? Like, and even in, I think mm. it's a sort of testament to his to how good an actor he is in this. I mean, it's it's a small role, but you know, when the bartender comes round the bar and kind of shoves him against the bar and takes his jacket off. And he's like, oh, I'll come in tomorrow with the money. You just you feel really sorry for him. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. I sort of think if, if I was if I had been in the pub, I'd just have paid for these drinks. Just say, like, here, go, it's, it's, give me his jacket back. exactly what I thought. <laughs> yeah. Exactly what I thought watching that. I'd be like, Christ, someone please pay for the guy's drinks. Yeah. And how much was the round? It was like £1.90 or something for a half 
and a half. Yeah, something. Yeah. It's like glorious early nineties prices that you and I <laughs> you and I only got to enjoy for a really short time. Yeah, it's just he's 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 so good. And even when he's been interviewed by the police uh, later on and all that, it just and again it's you know, they've they've gathered like this uh, company of like fantastic actors and some of them are and they, I forget the actress's name. And she's in like uh Trinity the High Road for years and then she was in Balamori and she's the wife of I the know. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can't remember her name. I know exactly who you mean, and I meant to check. I was like, oh, what's her name? Yeah. But I I know exactly who you mean. As soon as I saw her, I was like, oh, that's her from Take the High Road. Yeah. And I forgot. Yeah, of course, Balamori. Yeah. You know, she's got a really short scene, just a few lines. And you think, oh, you know, why, why is she in this? Because at this time, she was still in Take the High Road in the early 90s. Mm. You know, so she wasn't like she was a struggling actress, but, you know, she had a regular gig. Um, but I think for her, she just... She, I think she liked working with Peter McDougall or working or acting in his plays because she's she, either small roles or big roles in pretty much everything that he had uh, he had uh, made and you know, had made you know, all his scripts um, that he had on the BBC. She's got a part in like some his very first one, uh, Just Your Luck. She's uh, one of the leads in it, and then she just pops up for a, like a, a a couple of minutes in like other ones and stuff, you know. So I think she must just enjoy acting in his his stuff, you know. And who else is there? Well, there's the I mean the other actor, of course, that we've not really touched on is um, John Murta, who plays mm. Gary, the sort of psycho. I guess, you know, he's supposed to be the, the one that everyone, you know, I think there's a line when the guy comes out with the Doberman dog and he says, oh. if that comes near me, I'll cut its throat. And Billy Conley says, he's not talking, you know, if, or if, if, if he comes near me, I'll cut his throat. And Billy Conley says, he's not talking about the dog, you know, so you're supposed to, and like John Bett is the forger, Billy Conley's threatening that he'll get Gary to give him a lift home and all that kind of thing, you know. Do you think he's a particularly convincing Blade I person? believed it, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I believed it. He's a he has an edge to him yeah. that you just kind of yeah you wouldn't turn your back on him, and he does have this certain edge that you kind of believe in. And yeah, I mean he's slowly but surely crept up the swally tally. I do think as a unit, the the kind of gang that Jojo has amassed is is a convincing in a gang in terms of what they're doing. Um, yeah, yeah, I think he was very good. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm just I guess I'm used to seeing him in other more conventional parts. I guess. You know what I mean? Like he plays a teacher in Small Faces. He's he's in Bra- oh. he's in Braveheart. He plays Lachlan in Braveheart. He's in he's even in Rob Roy. I think he's not too many act- yeah. not too many actors were in both of them. Um, you know he's he's been in, he was in River City for four years as well when it first started. He's even got an EastEnders uh, credit under his belt as a reverend. But again, he's a bit like uh, Rab Affleck who plays Bungalow. He's just kind of been just kind of big kind of sort of grinding out the the work for years and years. You know and this. He's one of those guys who he's in loads of things that you've seen, but you always oh. have to kind of get your phone out to see what he's been in. Do you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> I know exactly what you mean because I was the same with Rab Affleck. It was like, oh, oh it's right. It, you know, it's that guy. Yeah. You know, I've seen him in loads of things and you check and you're like, really? Is that all I've seen him in? Less than I thought, but he's just so distinctive. My question would be Jojo is this kind of master criminal and they've spent nine months planning this bank job. So obviously it's a big heist, you know, and it's it's been a big deal. And obviously they've they've done a lot of this before because as his wife points out that all those times that he had to hide in apartments from the police and stuff and you know couldn't come home. Jojo must be well known to the police. 
So I do find it quite unbelievable that Louis and his dad don't know mm-hmm. about Jojo's kind of criminal enterprise. The whole fucking pub knows about it, obviously. He's got his own section in the bar, so he's obviously a very big-time gangster. He's got to be on the radar of, at the time, what, Strathclyde police? Like, it's it's inconceivable to me yeah. that they would not have any idea who this guy is. Yeah, absolutely. And they, and they, they sort of, they, they sort of flirt with it when Louis Sr., when he first meets him, and he's like, I feel like I've met you before. Like, I, you know, you've got... Mm. So, obviously, so, you know, so he's obviously been arrested and things when he's, maybe maybe when he's been younger, maybe that's the implication when he's been a like, sort of young... Uh, and that's quite a sinister line that Conley delivers there when he says, is it, my, my type is familiar to you, but my face isn't. Joseph, I was going to say this earlier, but uh, have we ever met? Your face is familiar. No, Louis, we've never met. But your face is familiar. I don't think so, Louis. I may be familiar to you, but my face isn't. What do you mean is... My type is familiar to you, just as yours is to me. I don't understand. Give me something I want to show you. No, you're right. It's it's bizarre that Louis would be like in the CID in Glasgow and you know and not know a criminal as notorious as we're led to believe in other scenes as uh, Jojo. But I guess it kind of fucks the whole storyline if he does, doesn't he? So, <laughs> so we'll just let it slide then, <laughs> we'll it's fine. Well, yeah, we'll just like, okay. we'll let it go. It looked like, I was trying to, as I, as I always do, whenever things are filmed in Glasgow or somewhere that I know, I try to kind of see if I recognise and I think, I'm fairly sure that a lot of it is filmed in Shawlands around Kilmarnock Road. Yeah. I spotted the Granary pub. I think the Italian restaurant is DiMaggio's now on Kilmarnock Road. Mm. I mean, maybe DiMaggio's then and the bank is just off um, it's just off of uh, Kilmarnock Road so that's quite cool because I, I used to live near there uh, so it's always good to see places that you know on screen this, I think the scene where when the mugger tries to mug Louis and Claire is in Queen's Park I think um, which is where the flagpole scene in Small Faces is filmed with a Canadian mm. uncle um, yeah but, you know I mean I I think it's a it's a great story I think that it could have been it could have been executed better not not by the actors, but you know, I think we we've said before that oh, we don't like it when films are too long or whatever. But I think this needed to be a wee bit longer. Except kind of touched on it earlier. I think it needed like yeah. an extra maybe 15, 20 minutes, maybe as much as half an hour, just to just to kind of develop the the, the things that it starts to develop, but don't really go with like the whole like the, the photograph thing with um, Louis Senior, for example, and. You, you know, you just you, and the, the that little bit of conflict between Gary and Bungalow. You know what I mean? I like you'd like to have seen that go somewhere. I I kind of wanted to see Bungalow like sort of batter somebody. If I'm honest, you want to, <laughs> you know, to see him Hulk out. <laughs> you know, like the, the the closest we get is when he uh, he sort of grabs Gary by the throat when they're when they're robbing the bank and. Jojo has to ask them to calm it down, you know. Um, so yeah, just I don't know. I mean, it's never going to get a remake or a reboot, so it is what it is. I mean, the, the, the BBC actually showed it as part of a kind of Billy Conley season last year. Obviously, he's oh. his he has uh, struggled with Parkinson's disease, is well documented. He's I think he's retired uh, completely from all sort of performing and whatnot. Um, but yeah, the, the the BBC had a wee Billy Conley season last year, and. Uh, 
the showed this and a few of his other bits and bobs. But yeah, I mean, again, I mean, sure, I think sort of if you were going to recast that JoJo role, I mean, Freddie Bordley might have done a good job in that role. You yeah, know what I mean, that's a good show. Yeah. yeah, that's a very good show, actually. I could see him in that role. Yeah, that would have been good. Yeah, you know, I mean, Alex Norton was, you know, if he if he wasn't playing the the uncle, would he be convincing in it? Don't know. I don't know. I can't really see Alex Norton playing Joe. No, he's not imposing enough. Yeah. If that makes sense, you need a kind of bigger figure. Peter Mullen would have been good in the role, I think. That's a great shout, actually. Yeah. yeah, and he would have been just kind of the yeah right age at that time to be. I would have been too young. Maybe a bit too at young. That time. Yeah. Slightly, yeah, Maybe a bit just too slightly young. too young to have a, a daughter of that age to be getting married. I mean, I think Connolly would have been in his late 40s, I think. Um, I think he was born just before the end of the war, or maybe during the war. What about Brian Cox? Brian Cox, yeah, it's a good shout. It's a really good shout. I mean, it's just, Mm. I was was listening to a podcast about Manhunter a couple of weeks ago, where obviously Brian Cox famously the first actor to play Hannibal Lecter. And, uh, And everybody agrees... Well, everybody that I've heard talking about Manhunter and Brian Cox's portrayal of Hannibal Lecter, everybody seems to agree that he's absolutely brilliant and completely chilling. You know, I think compared to compared to Anthony Hopkins, who goes a wee bit kind of he goes a bit sort of pantomime kind of villain. Yeah. You know, it's a bit it, hammy. Yeah, not not so much in Silence of the Lambs, but in the later ones. And yeah, I mean like, you know, fuck it. I watched Brian Cox do anything. I just, I, th- I think, I, I think, I think Brian Cox is maybe like our best currently working Scottish actor. I think just for his range. You know, I know we're kind of going off topic a wee bit, but like everything from Succession to Bob Servant. You know what I mean to X Men and everything. He's just he just could literally turn his hand to anything. But yeah, no, I think yeah you you kind of leave out the karaoke scenes. I don't think we needed to see quite as much of Maggie Bell as we did. No disrespect to her, more bungalow. <laughs> I I would agree with you on that. I think you made a very good point earlier in saying that there's a couple of scenes that are just a bit nonsense and filler. Yeah, and they could have used those. You know, they probably add up to maybe about. 10 minutes in total and you could have used that to expand on yeah. Louis and his father's relationship and why he's so against him you know kind of expand that a bit more or as you say just have Bungalow have Bungalow round singing karaoke with Gene yeah you know? but I think Bungalow needs like his own spin-off show I think the continuing story of Bungalow so like Max and Paddy from Phoenix Nights but it's <laughs> Bungalow and yeah. Freddie Bordley's character going <laughs> off to <laughs> unlikely friendship <laughs> yeah That'd be brilliant. I'd love to have seen that. Damn it. <laughs> Missed a trick there. Yeah. Fuck. But like, oh, never mind. To your point, like, look, I mean, I, I'm with you. Those scenes that, like, the one with the couple outside the Italian restaurant, um, the scene with the couple in the bar, uh, kissing, the guy kissing Claire and all that kind of thing, they're great, right? But they don't, don't really need to be there. You know what I mean? No. I mean, you know, they don't... In some of Peter McDougall's earlier work, he's got a little bit of that going on, but it sort of... It it, kind of feels like it belongs in some of that stuff more than than it does here, you know, because his his other things... The other things that I've seen of his, apart from, like, Elephant's Graveyard, although they're kind of character-focused, they're they're as much about the, the environment as they are about the characters. Whereas this... 
This is, it's not really so much about the environment. They, they kind of try to make it a little bit like it is with Freddie Bordley's speech that you mentioned before. And like the UK was in a recession. It wasn't that long after the poll tax riots in Scotland and all that kind of thing. So there, there's this, there's a sort of suggestion that there's a lot of desperate people in Glasgow at the time. But that wouldn't have been unique to Glasgow, that would have been the same all over the Scotland and all over the UK. Mm. Whereas his other stuff, you know, with just another Saturday, he's addressing the sort of sectarian Catholic Protestant orange thing in Glasgow, and just on the boys' game, he's addressing the kind of hard man culture of the time, gangs and things, and these characters are things are happening to these characters in that setting. But this is purely a kind of plot-driven film, if you like. And so it doesn't, you know, you don't have to establish the where it's all happening that much. You know what it's, you know what's happening in Glasgow oh. from their accents, you know. So you, you don't, yeah. you don't have to have all that little environmental stuff in there. I think, you know, to your point, it could have been used that that time could have been used to develop the character, like some of the characters a wee bit more, and and develop the storyline a wee bit more. What we're seeing is more boredly in bungalow, yeah. less bell. Yeah, and I, like I say, it's it's no disrespect to to Maggie Bell, but you know, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna have more Maggie Bell, let's have less Maggie Bell singing by herself in the living room waiting for the girls to turn up. And another thing I was going to say, did you, did you notice the spread that she'd put on for the girls coming in? Fuck me! I did, yeah. It was like raw chicken drumsticks and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to be millionaires. What the fuck she doing making sandwiches and chicken? You just get the caterers in, right? <laughs> she tried her best, but then they're just back from the pub. Surely that's that's yeah. all you would want. They're that's all pished. Chicken they drum. didn't even touch it. No. They're too busy singing Goodnight Girl. <laughs> and, the, and the other, like, it's obvious that Billy Connolly has, is doing this for real, but putting the pigeon's head in his mouth to blow up her plumage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know about that. Manky. Yeah. Manky pigeons. But you have to be careful. You blow too hard. Our lungs will come out of ours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I mean, I've, I mean, like, you know, I, I don't think I've ever known a pigeon fancier in my life. I know that these people do exist. Is that a thing? Like, do you know who the most famous pigeon fancier I would know of no. is? Who? Duncan Ferguson. Is he? <laughs> he is a massive pigeon fancier. Renowned headcase and nutter that basically tackled burglars that had shotguns in his house and sat on them until the police arrived. Duncan Ferguson is a massive pigeon fancier. I can't put my finger on why, but for whatever reason, I'm not surprised by that at all. <laughs> I mean, just does not surprise me. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be putting a pigeon's uh, head in my mouth. Definitely no. not. But I thought that was quite a. That was again to show a nice little soft side. Yeah, but also very fucking sinister as well. There's a there's a kind of like undercurrent in that scene that you're a bit like, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, Jojo hates the police, right? Because he's made his life mm. as a criminal always trying to stay one step ahead of the police. So he's all, you know, I guess you're, you're we're kind of led to think that he's obviously having to make a massive effort here for his daughter, sort of tolerating this policeman who is like a contemporary of his, I guess they're be about the same age, or they're supposed to be around about the same age or whatever. Maybe Louis Senior's a wee bit older. George has got, he's got this guy in his house and he's got to show him hospitality and everything. I think maybe with Louis, it's a bit easier for him because Louis's young, he's his daughter's mm. fiance and everything. So yeah, so that scene. But then, you know, like, how does he show how dangerous he is? He blows a <laughs> blows a pigeon's plumage up so she so she attracts the rogue do down to the to the coop. 
<laughs> so, shall we put Down Among the Big Boys through the, the Swally Awards? That's just what I was about to ask you, Greg. Let's put it through the awards. What have you got first? Archetypal Scottish moment. There's quite a lot in this. <laughs> there is, yeah. Quite a lot. I'm trying to decide, kind of between the couple. What did you have? Well, I mullet. There's a lot, but I've gone for the the robbery scene when they're in the the vault and they're smashing the wall, and it just turns to bungalow and he's swigging from a bottle of iron brew. Yeah, and it's just like the best iron brew advert you've ever seen. <laughs> um, I mean, I had that or the good night girl, wet 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 <laughs> singing. Yeah, what about I, yourself? I had the old guy thrown up outside the wine bar. You know, so when you and Stuart's on the phone after he's found, he's, he's found his Patsy and Freddie Bordley and he's the phone to Jojo and Jojo asks him where he is. Oh, just in one of these uh, wine bars that are coming up and it's, it's, but there'll always be, a, doesn't matter how fancy it is, there'll always be an old drunk guy thrown up outside. I had that, but I, th- I think we'll give it to the Iron Brew scene. Although, maybe because of these COVID times, it's a wee bit uncomfortable when because that he actually passes it to Gary and they're sharing the iron brew, you know. It was fine back then. Yeah. Like, okay, it's COVID times now, but this was you know, it was fine then. COVID didn't exist. The Frank Begbie Award for swearing. I only had one for this. Um I had a couple, but I I did have to give it to the speech near the end, uh, when they're in the car and Conley says, um, tomorrow morning you'll be my fucking son in law. I yeah. think it was the impassioned swearing there. That's what I gave it to you, but I did have a couple of others. But Jojo is my nephew. Tomorrow morning, he'll be my fucking son-in-law. What about yourself? I only had one uh, that I felt was worthy, and that was tickety-fuckety-boo. <laughs> but <laughs> I suppose it's not... It's, maybe it doesn't deserve it, because it's not... You know, the Frank Begby Award should be awarded to, like, fired-up swearing, not casual swearing. So but I, th- I think we'll ah, give it... We'll, we'll, we'll give, take that. We'll give, it, we'll, we'll give it to uh, the car speech. The Jake McQuillan, your teaser award... Has to be Bungalow and Gary, right? A bit. No, actually, I because surprisingly, there's not a lot of violence mm. in this, really. So I actually gave it to the barman ripping Gary Lewis's jacket off of it. <laughs> yeah. Because it's quite violent the way he comes through. He's quite menacing the way he runs around the bar and then he grabs him and he just hauls it off. I agree, the scene with Bungalow is quite violent as well. But yeah, I, I gave it to the, the barman taking Gary Lewis's jacket off. It leads to him being jacketless man. It does. It's an integral plot point. The James Cosmo Award for being everything Scottish. It's a hard one, isn't it? It's a tough one. And when you look at the, the swally tally, it's yeah, it's tough. But it's Alex Norton. It's all day long. Alex Norton. I mean, it's always, if if it, if it's not James Cosmo, it's Alex Norton. I think I think we need to give a special mention though to John Bett because he's yeah, yeah pretty pretty prolific himself. And then final award, the Sean Connery Award for who got to go home and fuck the prom queen. That's Billy Conley, it's isn't it? Has to be Billy Conley. It's his. It's, There's no one else. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, I, I'd love to give it to Rab Affleck, but <laughs> yeah. it's Billy Conley. Yeah, yeah. In terms of your best scene, what was your favourite scene of the whole film. My favourite scene is the is the orange march and them timing the explosions with the with the drum rolls. It's just I mean that is 
genius. Absolutely genius. Yeah. Well, that's the only answer. That's yeah. the, yeah, it's perfect. The whole scene is just brilliant. It's so funny. It's so fantastic. And as you say, it's just genius of the, the way that they're doing it, the timing. And the Connolly mar- is just on form in that scene, the way they're marching around and they're all topless and just, it's kind of the over-exaggeration as he's pushing and boom, yeah. and they all cheer. and Yeah, it's great. God bless King Billy. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's, I mean, and, and you know that there was there wasn't anybody else that could have come up with something like that apart from Peter McDougall. You know what I mean? No. But I wonder if Connolly had any input in that. I mean, I, I feel like Billy Connolly is mm. he's somebody that you feel like you sort of know to some extent because he's you know like you see him be he's sort of the, a bit of a sort of chat show king in terms of as a guest. Like every chat show mm. that you see the old footage of him on Parkinson or even like like I saw him being interviewed by um who's the who's the American Jewish comedian, the lady? She's quite famous. She passed away, but I can't remember her name. That's really annoying. Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers. He's like, I saw an interview of him on Joan Rivers and he has her in absolute fucking knots. You know what I mean? So like between these chat show appearances, his stand up the stuff like I really enjoyed when he did um, his world tour of Scotland and some of the, he did a few other countries. He did Australia as well later on and Ireland and England and stuff. So you, you kind of feel like you know him a wee bit. You know what I mean? And obviously we don't, uh, but you just, because you kind of grow up with like, famous yeah, people like that, you know. What about his American sitcom, Billy? I remember that. Um, I remember watching the first one and all I remember of it was there's a really cringy scene right at the end when he's dancing a satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. But that, but that, that spun off of um, and there was a there was a sitcom called uh, Top of the Class or the something, head of, like, head of yeah, the class, like yeah, head, head of the class, yeah. And they brought him in for the last two series or last series, yeah. And he uh, that and they decided to spin him off, give him his own his own uh, TV show. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like I say, I don't know that. I don't know that he's that. You when you have Billy Connolly, you kind of want him as an actor. He's at his best when he's just being himself and riffing, talking, doing his stand up or on a chat show or whatever. It's just, and I, and it, and it, it kind of makes it. it all the sadder to see how he is now with these Parkinson's. Like I saw him, I watched a documentary. They, they commissioned four artists to do paintings of him for, I think it was for his 70th birthday. And you can see them in Glasgow. They've been turned into murals and he, he's presenting a documentary about it, but he's, you know, he's, you can see the effect of Parkinson's on him. He's, his voice is a little quieter, still very funny, you know, very dry sense of humor. And he, he goes to meet uh, John Byrne, who is a good friend of his, who's an artist, they also wrote uh, the Slab Boys. They play the Slab Boys, and it's funny, like with the two of them, you know, they're making each other laugh and all that kind of thing. But you know, you're used to something. You're used to somebody at a point in time in your life who. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, he when he was on it, he could be fucking hilarious, Billy Conley. I mean, I I, I remember watching uh, Billy and Albert with my mum. They show at the oh. Albert Hall, and my mother. I mean, I, I, I was laughing at it, but. I was the, the the way that she was responding. I mean, she was like lying on the floor, like tears. I think the the bit when he's talking about the baby monitors and how babies pretend to be dead. Do you know what I mean by not making any noise? The baby monitors and the the actions and everything that he's doing. Like my mother just uh, fucking tears rolling down her cheek. She's lying on the floor. She's fallen off the sofa, just in hysterics. And it's such a gift to be able to 
do that to somebody. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So yeah, it was good. We'll have to we'll have to do some more Billy Conley featured uh, featuring things in future episodes. I think. And that's it. It's not just the impact that he had on your mother making yeah. her laugh. It's yeah. the memories that you've got of that. Yeah, absolutely. So he's impacted, you know, both of you. Yeah. In a way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So. It is your turn to choose uh, the next episode's content. So what we wa- what we watching this week? Well, the next episode is going to be released on the 17th of June. We are going to be in the height of Euro 2020. We're still calling it Euro 2020, apparently, even though it's happening in Euro 2021. So yeah, we're going to be right in there. So the next episode is going to drop two days before we have a crunch game, Scotland against some team called England. I don't know, I've never really heard of them before, so we'll wait and see what happens. So I thought I'd have a look at uh, a football film. Okay. Since we're in the season of it, and there's not a lot out there, but there's a couple. So I think we're going to have a look at the fortunes of Kinlocky FC in the 2002 film, starring, in order of importance, of course, Ali McCoy (laughs) and Robert Duval and Michael Keaton. We're going to look at A Shot of Glory. Oh, brilliant. Well, I have never watched A Shot of Glory. Um, I've seen bits of it. It was it would sometimes be on at like half two in the morning when you get in from the pub, you know what I mean, an ISTV or something. Just going to fall asleep watching it. Um, but yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, that, I mean what, a, what a lineup. Starring. Starring Ali McCoist, Robert <laughs> Duval. I think it's like, the, there's a lot of shite Scottish talent in there. I don't mean actor-wise, I mean footballers. So. <laughs> Ian McCall. I actually, I had a look at the cast list today to start doing the list, and I was like, Andy Gray, fucking brilliant. I didn't realise Andy Gray was in this. Like, because my first thought is Andy Gray. Yeah. No, it's the Scottish commentator, Andy Gray, uh, who I'm like, ah, yeah, he probably would have been my first thought before doing the swally and stuff. But now I'm just like, oh, you fucking beauty chancers in this. No, it's Scottish commentator. It's 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 BN Sports. Andy Gray. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, let's have a look at a shot of glory. I, I've only seen it once, and it was many years ago. Okay. And I think I was a bit drunk, and I think I thought it was shite. So, <laughs> okay. I, yeah, let's have a look. Hey, uh, look, Batman's in it. So Exactly. How bad can bad. it be? Batman's in it. Pretty bad. Uh, Tom Hagen's in it. Uh, how bad can it be? You know? Exactly. So, I'll look forward to looking at that uh, with you next time on the Swally. Me too. So, uh, yeah. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can follow us on Instagram at Culture Swally Pod, or why don't you follow us on Twitter? We are there at Swally Pod. We're not very active, but hey, if you follow us, we might get more active. And if you would like to email us with anything you would like us to review or any news stories you'd like us to cover, then you can reach us on cultureswally and gmail.com. And we also have a website now. So, Greg... Where can they find our website? You can find us at cultureswallyblog.com. Uh, there's links to all the episodes. There's also links to some of their favourite uh, news stories that we've covered over the last uh, 22 episodes. And we're, we're updating that semi-regularly. So come and check us out. And please rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. I know it's boring. I know everyone says it every podcast, but it really does help. So yeah, if you like us, then leave us a review, give us a rating and subscribe. And thank you very much. And until next time, tickety-fucking-boo. Tickety-fucking-boo. <laughs>